the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. We're happy to be back with you for another episode. Yes, it's always good when you come introduce yourselves to us as listeners, then we can be thinking of you as we're we've had some good recording. stories lately yeah. with people we've met and shared things about how the podcast has blessed them that's right so thank you we are here at the end of october and uh getting ready for our um theology of the body congress getting excited for that and i'm so this coming weekend last chance to sign up this week we have a, a Stellar list of speakers, Scott Hahn, George Weigel, Mikhail Waldstein, Bill Dunahy, Janet Smith, Sister Miriam, yours truly, and a whole host of others who are going to be doing breakout sessions. Mm. Excited. Yeah. Is there anyone you're most excited to hear? Probably. I mean, Scott Hahn's going to be great. Uh, he's always superb. But I'm, I think I'm probably most interested in hearing what George Weigel has to say. He's got such a unique perspective on... The papacy of John Paul II, he knew John Paul II very well. He had countless meetings with him. He wrote that biography. Yeah. Um, and he, he, in many ways, really gave credibility to my career. Mm-hmm. Remember when I first read Witness to Hope in the late 90s absolutely. and how absolutely thrilled I was with his section on the theology of the body? Yeah. Because it was echoing in so many ways what I had been saying already for a number of years, but who the heck was I? Nobody knew who Christopher West was in the in the mid-90s when I began this work, but I was, I was waving this flag. I was saying, hey, everybody, this theology of the body is really, really important, yeah. uh, and it's really a key for understanding who John Paul II is and the gift to our church at this time. And then George Weigel's biography came out, and the section on the theology of the body, he said, he said the theology of the body. He said so so many things that that really were a confirmation to me of of what I had been teaching. But one thing that really stuck with me, and I think it's kind of in the in the minds of many people who read that biography, was the theology of the body is a kind of theological time bomb mm. set to go off with dramatic consequences sometime in the twenty first century, perhaps in the twenty first century. Now, George and I had a conversation. Uh, recently, within the last six months, when we were talking about this Congress, and I was inviting him to come, and he said, you know, a lot of people have misunderstood what I meant there. Mm. He says, it's not, I didn't mean that this was some kind of magic bullet that's going to change everything and and take all the church's problems away, but he means it specifically as a response to modern, uh, the modern Gnostic split and rupture of body and soul which is at the heart of so much of the crisis of the culture today. So I think George is going to be addressing that in his keynote address. Mm -hmm. And how are we to understand theology of the body as this theological time bomb? What does it mean? What did he not mean by that? And and how can we see what John Paul II has given us as an antidote to the crisis of our times? I think think that's where George is going to go with this talk anyway, based on the conversation I had. Uh So I'm particularly excited about that. Yeah. That does sound very exciting. I'm excited with you. Thanks, lover. Yeah. <laughs> Look forward to our Congress time together. Yeah, me too. Is there anything else going on with the Institute? Uh, well, we do have a TOB1 online coming up 
from November 3rd to November 13th. Mm -hmm. And this will be the fifth, fourth or fifth time we've offered it online. And it has some, you know, it's not the same as doing it in person. But uh, one of the advantages that students have told us is they get to pause the videos, you know? Yeah. And, oh, what did he just say? Let's rewind that. Or they're, if they're watching it with the spouse, you know, if they're taking it together, uh, they're able to pause and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Other people have really uh, appreciated uh, what we do to, to give it a live feel. We, you're not just watching videos. We get on and do some live Q&A, et cetera, mm -hmm. for the, the course. So, yeah, if you've ever wanted to take TOB1 and haven't been able to travel here to Pennsylvania to take it, we can fix that now by giving you this opportunity to take yeah. it online. Consider it. That's awesome. And you can go to the show notes and see where we have links to both the Congress and the upcoming TOB1 class. You know, we should also let our podcast listeners know that we are now filming. True. That's right. You may not know that if you're used There's to There's a camera right here right now. Uh-huh filming us answering these questions so uh we we don't put the whole podcast episode on the youtube channel uh we just break out the questions that right. we answer and address so hey guys if you want to see us on video i'm gonna say something about that yeah okay. please do yeah so i was a little resistant a little reluctant about yeah. being on video because you're familiar with that format used to it but i'm right. not right i like just podcasting just the voice thing because we could be in pajamas <laughs> that's true uh, now nah, we can't really be in pajamas you know, i mean just, if you want to see us in no no, no we no. won't but it's not just that it just was a big hurdle for me to get over for a lot of reasons but i i just want to share that we were talking about this a lot in the spring and it was actually on the feast of pentecost as um we were hearing the readings about the holy spirit coming upon the apostles and them being transformed and able to do something that they couldn't do before. And I was thinking about this very thing of filming our podcast. And I just asked the Holy Spirit to give me that gift. Thanks, so, lover. Yeah. So here I am. Thank on you. Film. <laughs> on film. So go to Christopher West YouTube channel and watch these videos. Exactly. If, if you want to see us on film. Here we go. What's okay. our first question? This is uh, an anonymous question. I heard about the terrible thing that happened in New Orleans, where the priest desecrated an altar with porn stars. I find it just horrifying. How could he be a priest and do something like that? Yes, if you haven't heard this horror, we are sorry to be the bearers of such horrific news. Uh, that's exactly what it is. Um, and I won't get into the details, but there, there was a priest who desecrated the altar uh, with two porn stars, and um, he was caught doing so, thanks be to God. The altar has been burned by the bishop. And I remember when we heard we heard the story together, somebody shared it with us, and my first reaction was, well, of course, that's what the enemy wants to do. Mm. The theology of the body gives us the, the tools to understand what is happening here. The enemy is after the holiest realities of our faith. And the holiest reality of our faith is the Eucharist. And I think we, we have good reason to say the, the second holiest reality of our faith is the sacrament of marriage. Uh, John Paul II puts it this way. He says that uh, marriage is the foundation of the sacramental order, mm -hmm. and the Eucharist is the summit of the sacramental order. And when you understand that foundation and that summit, 
and the interrelationship between the two, you know exactly what the enemy is doing here in tempting a priest who obviously has deep-seated personal problems. Uh, He somehow opened a doorway to the enemy, and the enemy came into his life to this place of, of desecrating the altar uh, with, with porn stars. Um, this is a total diabolic mockery of the holy mystical nuptials that are happening in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. As John Paul II says, the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. Marriage is the foundation of the sacramental order. What does that mean? It means the goal of all of the sacraments is to unite the bridegroom with the bride, Christ and the church, united. And what happens? The bride conceives eternal life. Mm. God has chiseled this mystery, if you will, right in our bodies by making us male and female and calling us to the sacrament of marriage. This is why marriage is a sacrament, because the union of man and woman is this beautiful sign, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, the one flesh union is a great mystery that refers to Christ and the church. Other translations say a great sacrament that refers to Christ and the church. All the enemy can do to release his fury, he can't destroy what God has created. All he can do is mock it. So what this desecration was, was a diabolic mockery of these two holy sacramental mysteries, marriage, the union of man and woman, and the Eucharist, the union of Christ mm-hmm. and the church. The enemy gets his hands on those sacred signs and <laughs> twists the heck out of it. Yes, That's what was going on. Pornography is a diabolic mockery of a heavenly mystery. It's a hellish mockery of a heavenly mystery, if mm-hmm. we want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And that was being lived out in a, in a horrific way by this broken, broken priest who opened himself to the entrance of the enemy, and the enemy had his way. I'm thinking about in the Gospels where it talks about that the, the evil spirits knew who Jesus was. Right. They they know the truth, and, and he actually forbade... The demons from saying... From right. saying so. So it kind of gives us a little peek into the spiritual world and the sense in which... Satan and evil spirits understand the important spiritual realities. That's right. That even we may not really get. We may get into a mode where we're we're going to mass and it starts to kind of feel like a sort of a I don't know, like a, a tradition that we do or kind of a nice little meal. Right. Like we don't really see how spiritually important a mass is. Yes. But the demons the do. The demons do. Yep. And that they hate it and that they would want to you know harm those that the lord wants to bless right his bride in this way you know is is really is true that is what satan wants to do but we kind of forget that satan yeah. even cares yeah you know? if you want to know what is most sacred look at that which the enemy mm-hmm. most violently profanes yeah. what does he desecrate what is he after He's after our sexuality, and he's after the Eucharist because of how profoundly interrelated these mysteries are. And in as much as we see and enter into the mystery of our being male and female, that's what I mean when I say human sexuality. Why are we male and female? Why are the two called to become one flesh? Paul tells us why. This is a great mystery, a mega mystery, he says. 
and it refers to Christ and the church. The enemy wants to get his hands on that and ah! twist mm. it all up, profane it, desecrate it, because he's so furious about it. He's mm. so furious about how holy and beautiful our bodies are. He's so furious about what the marriage bed invites spouses into, and he's so furious about what the Eucharist is and what the Eucharist invites us into, and he's so furious about how these two mysteries are so profoundly interrelated, and he wants to get us to hate our bodies, he wants to get us, get us to hate our sexuality, look at the number he's done on us in the culture, yeah. we are now hating the fact that we're male and female to a degree that I don't even know we've ever known in human history. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? He's doing that to keep us from the mystery of the Eucharist, from entering into the consummation of the mystical marriage between heaven and earth. That's his end game. He attacks the sign, which is, he attacks the foundation. Let's go back to that language. He attacks the foundation of the mm -hmm. sacramental order in order to take out the summit. Mm -hmm. If you can explode the mountain at the base, you're going to take out the summit. Right. right? And, and this, this tragic thing that really happened is kind of like both at once. Both at once, that's right. An attack on both at once. And I, I love what you said earlier about the just the words, the bridegroom and the bride. And to think of the joy that we associate with those words. The scripture says we long to hear the voice of the of bridegroom. Of the bridegroom, yes, yes. We, we just, we have such a joy associated with those words. And to hear that the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. Let's not let the evil one take any Amen. of the joy Amen. and purity of that away from us through this. Amen. He wants to. He it's wants us to yes. be afraid of those images. But but that's not the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart is that all of that joy of union in holiness that we associate with bride and bridegroom would be even more so connected to Mass and the Eucharist. Right. And it's in trying to absolutely take quick action to reclaim that, that the bishop, you know, has taken action in this particular church. Yes. Oh, how we pray for the members of that parish and all those involved. Yeah, he, he has one goal here. That's what we have to keep in mind. His one goal is to prevent us from entering the Holy of Holies, where this marriage takes place. That's mm. the mass. Mm. And he wants to he wants to scramble our understanding of our bodies so we no longer understand the mystery and meaning of the body of Christ given up for us. Mm. So so Lord, we we offer this whole horrible desecration to you. We ask you please to untwist what the enemy is twisting up here so that we might see purely and rightly the beauty, the glory, the goodness of our creation as male and female, and the call of the two to become one flesh, that we might see in that holy, sacred union of man and woman a sign, a sacrament, mm -hmm. an image of your union with the church. That's the kind of astounding, astounding intimacy the Lord wants to have with us. When we don't have a, a true concept of the holiness of spousal union, then how can we possibly have a sense of the holiness of using that imagery to, to understand what's happening in the holy communion of the Eucharist? Uh, the enemy's doing a number on us, but we know, we know who wins in the end. In the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And what that means, as Cardinal Ratzinger said years ago, 
That means purity of heart will triumph. What is purity of heart? John Paul II says, purity of heart is the glory of God revealed through our bodies. Mm. That's that's the truth of who we are. Our mm. bodies are meant to reveal this holy mystery, mm -hmm. and that's why the enemy's after it, but he doesn't win. So, Mary, may your heart triumph, may purity of heart triumph in our lives, may all those pornographic desecrations of our bodies be rebuked and cast out so we can see truly and beautifully the mystery of God revealed through our sexuality. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Anna. And Hi, Anna. Anna, I need to say to you, I enjoyed reading your question. I, I wanted to edit it down to um, just be able to share it more succinctly on the podcast. Um, but I don't want to say it in your voice because I did kind of, you know, summar summarize it. So I'm okay. going to say what I got from her question here. Good. So Anna and her fiance, they're both faithful Catholics and are getting married soon. Mm-hmm. She has a very irregular cycles and hasn't had a period in six months. She's been in the care of a doctor to try to help with her cycles. They are planning to use the Marquette method, but now they're feeling... The Marquette method of natural family planning, yes, sorry, just to, to clarify planning, for our right. listeners. right? But they're feeling now that it will be impossible to predict when she may ovulate. And so as a result of all that, her their wedding is soon. They're feeling anxious rather than excited about mm, their wedding night. Mm, so honest. Anna is working hard in an intense program for the next two years related to her career. And the questions that are coming up, should they not consummate their marriage for how long? And also, should they consummate and be willing to change all their plans if they would conceive a child? Wow, these are complex questions that uh, I, I will I will quote a passage from John Paul II here as an entry point, and then maybe offer a few reflections. But John Paul II says these kind of decisions as to whether to be postponing pregnancy, these decisions can only be answered by the couple themselves, uh, and and. What is at stake is the whole issue of responsible parenthood, to, that you, Anna, and your soon-to-be husband, you and the two of you alone can take responsibility for these decisions, and you are called to take responsibility for these decisions. That does not mean you shouldn't consult with people you trust and get their perspective and opinion, and we certainly are honored that you would entrust to yes. us this this very intimate and personal question, and we're happy to offer some reflections. But my particular prayer for you, Anna, is that you would not fear the responsibility that's been placed on your and your future husband's shoulders to discern this and to make a responsible decision. So that said, I will offer some reflections. Now, I, I, can't, I can't speak into the medical issues because I'm not a doctor and I don't know what's causing the the problem with her cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would suggest that you look under every stone possible to find good doctors who can help you evaluate properly what is going on so that whatever that physical situation is that's causing you to have, you know, not cycle for six months, that's that's concerning. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would suggest uh, maybe going to 
a napro a napro technology doctor someone trained in napro technology which is short for natural procreative technology and that's a system of of doing medicine that is entirely in keeping with the church's teaching mm -hmm. in honoring the way a woman's body is meant to work uh, uh, and aiding the body to work the way it's meant to work. Yes. So look that up. Maybe we could put a link in our show notes on NAPRO technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if there's a website that might have a list of doctors who are, mm -hmm. probably is. Think one more soul. Uh, yeah, gosh, they, I know they used to do that. I don't know if they still do. But anyway, um, we'll do what we can to have a link there in the show notes to, to lead you to, to find a, a, a NAPRO technology trained doctor. I hope I'm saying, am I saying that correctly? Yeah. NAPRO technology trained? A doctor trained in NAPRO technology. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. So go down that road, Anna. Uh, and then in terms of should you be coming together? Should you not? Should you be uh, sacrificing your career in case? Well, let's just put it this way. If you were to conceive, then yes, that would mean it sounds like from your situation, it would mean a rearranging maybe of some of your immediate goals. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would look at that. I would put that out into the light. Here's, here's a suggestion. Put out into the light, you and your fiance, all of the possibilities, right? You get married and you abstain from intercourse until you have medical help to figure out what's really going on. That's an option. You get married and you come together. Uh, you unite as husband and wife and you say, Lord, your will be done. It's unclear right now, our fertility, because of the irregularity of your cycle. Um, so maybe there's a, a fear factor, as you yourself had admitted, Anna, there is. Uh, I'd put that all in the light. Where does that fear come from? Is it the fear of giving up your, your plans for your career? Is it the fear of not being able to provide for a child. What are those fears? I don't want to I don't want to guess what they are. I but I encourage you to put them out into the light you and your fiance together. Um, another possibility would be you would come together and you would not conceive. Mm -hmm. Right? You haven't been cycling for 6 months, you know, who who you it may be the case that you are unable to conceive. I would also say that if you are properly trained in modern methods of natural family planning, you should be able to recognize when signs of fertility show up. And I, I, I do want to say so. I, will you speak into that, Wendy? Because yes, I, I think there's a big chunk of missing information here that's maybe causing some yeah. fear that if that information were supplied and they were properly knowledgeable, they could go into their marriage with, with mm -hmm. those fears uh, at least lessened. Yeah, I think so too. And I'll say that um, I am glad that there are different approaches to natural family planning. There was a time in my life when it frustrated me when I thought, oh, these, you know, different approaches to natural family planning are confusing to people. But right now, my opinion is that they are serving different groups of people. Mm. And I do appreciate the gift of the Marquette method, which is um, based on the use of testing a woman's urine for hormones that indicate what's happening in her cycle. I recently was in touch with these people at Marquette and ordered the, you know, necessary um, testing supplies that they recommend. But I had people say to me that I respected, I don't think this is going to be helpful to you, Wendy. I don't think that what 
you're needing help with is going to come from this mm -hmm. device. And in fact, those people were right, because um, while it is very useful, especially for people who are having fairly regular cycles, it isn't so useful when you haven't had a regular cycle. And that was my situation. And I hear that that is Anna's. Right, right. And so the reason being that the device they're using to test was not designed specifically for people in our circumstance of these irregular cycles. So it's it's not a problem with natural family planning. It's not a problem with urine testing. It's a problem with the device, which was developed with certain limitations. And so we can't overcome that yet. It's certainly in the future of natural family planning, but we aren't there yet. But there are other methods, there are other methods. that so can maybe fill in yeah, the gaps so here. So that's what I want to say right. is that it may have made sense to go with that method, but I think one of the things you are probably realizing is that it's not applying very well to your current situation, Anna. So I really want to encourage you to take heart that um, if you would look into other methods like the Couple to Couple League, which teaches a symptothermal method, absolutely teaches you to recognize what the signs of fertility will be, even without having a period. Other methods as well, like Creighton method is actually one that many NAPRO doctors would appreciate right. their patients knowing because they're very familiar with working with that kind of fertility charting. So like I said, it can sound frustrating. Why are there different ways? But I do think they are useful to different people. So I wanted really to share that with you, Anna. I know your wedding is soon, and I know that it may feel overwhelming to hear that. Um, if we can all like take a deep breath and step back and realize like the Lord is the Lord and it's all, it really, it can be such a stressful time right before your wedding. And I do feel like there's something sort of robbing you both of a certain peace, yeah. a certain stress level that's not just about this, but this is really adding to it um, that, you know, we certainly want to be praying for you and we'll be praying for you, but also ask you to, you know, consider how, how is the Lord trying to speak peace into your hearts? And are you open to hear that as you are getting ready to be joined in this, in this sacrament? Um, you know, the possibility of, of stepping back from this intense, um, training that you're in, Anna, it may not be unrelated to your cycle problems. Oh, that's an interesting point, you know, Wendy. That, that the, the stress level that you are under certainly can impact a woman's fertility cycle. So it could be all part of a bigger picture the Lord is trying to speak to you about. Yeah. I want to add this, because I'm imagining there are listeners out there who are just rolling their eyes thinking, for crying out loud, this is, a, this is the kind of situation in which contraception's fine. Mm. Uh and I, I want to actually connect this to our first question. Yeah. Is it ever, under any circumstance, right to desecrate the altar on which the body of Christ is consecrated? Mm. Never, never, ever, ever can that be justified. When we understand the holiness of what is happening when the two become one flesh, to render willfully that act sterile, is another kind of desecration of something holy. Mm. And it is never, ever, ever right to desecrate what is holy, to rob it of its fullness. So 
that means sometimes great sacrifices are call are are demanded in order to honor the holy. And when you see how holy it it is, it's worth any sacrifice to mm -hmm. honor it. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that I wanted to hold that out because I was imagining people might be rolling their yes. eyes. But I would anybody who might be rolling your eyes, I invite you not to roll your eyes, but to ask the Lord to open your eyes to the holiness the sacredness of what happens in the divine plan when the two become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and it reveals, it foreshadows, it proclaims, and it enables a husband and wife to participate in the mystery of Christ in the church. When we render the act sterile, we are robbing it of its sacramental power. It's no longer a sign of God's life-givingness. It becomes a countersign. It's no longer proclaiming God is life-giving love. When we render it sterile, it's proclaiming God is not life-giving love, and that's blasphemous. Mm. And, and both are efficacious in bringing about what they symbolize. In other words, when you have a culture where marriages are living the sacrament truthfully, it's the marriages are efficacious in bringing about what they symbolize. What do they symbolize? Life-givingness, a culture of life. Uh, the, the contracepted act is a symbol of, of a death, of a robbing of life, and it's efficacious in bringing that about too. Mm. It brings about a culture of death. We're in a culture of death. <laughs> Make no mistake, we are in a culture of death because we are in a culture where sex is rendered sterile. Mm -hmm. And the, the solution here is not just uh, as if we could flick a switch and nobody use contraception anymore. What is needed is the change of heart. What is needed is the, as I said, don't, don't roll your eyes, open your eyes. What is needed is the eyes opening so that we can see who we really are and learn how to honor it. It's not merely a behavior change that is going to, 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 you know, fix the culture, just an external change of behavior. It's going to be that change of heart that changes the culture. It's the purity of heart that changes the culture. And then we're back to what we said earlier about the triumph of the Immaculate mm -hmm. Heart. Yeah. The, tri the change of heart is required. Yeah, absolutely. And when that change of heart happens, rendering sex becomes unthinkable, or to the degree that that change of heart happens. The idea of rendering the sexual act sterile is unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Anna and your fiancé, whose name I don't know, um, really the fact that you are already living your faith and that this has caused you such stress and frustration, if you could just offer that up for this culture that you're talking mm, about, mm. you are suffering for the truth. Yes. Um, Preach it, Wendy. Preach it. <laughs> The Lord wants to use that for good. Yes, yes. Please. Your suffering is valuable. Remember the holiness of your marriage, the holiness of your bodies, the goodness of your fertility, of your reproductive organs. Yes. Like, really, let the Lord speak to you of that, and let not any doubts about that enter into your decision-making. Amen. Just trust Him. He is a good God who has good plans for you. Amen. Our last question is an anonymous question. Why do Catholics pray to saints? Why do Catholics pray to saints? Great question. We are part of a family. 
a big family, you know, again, wearing these glasses that John Paul II has given us, and not just John Paul II, this goes the whole way back to the early church. This is right in scripture. It's, we're invited to be part of this grand family. And there is a communion of saints who've already passed over, who are already participating in that eternal exchange of the Trinitarian life. And they're not less part of our family. They're more part of our family because they're on the, the other side. And, you know, why, why do I ask you, Wendy, you're my wife, why do I say, honey, could you please pray for me? I, you know, such and such is going on, I really need your yeah. prayers. Why don't I just go to, straight to Jesus? There is some value in my coming to you because you love me and you know me. Mm. And, and my saying to you, Wendy, could you please pray for me here? There's value in my going to my parish priest and saying, Father, could you please pray for me here? There's value in calling up a friend of mine and saying, hey, Jason, can you please pray for me? I'm going through X, Y, and Z. These saints who are on the other side are no less part of our friends and our family that mm. we have a whole army of saints we can turn to who are whose prayers are more powerful than yours, Wendy, <laughs> more powerful than the priest down the street, more powerful than my friend I can call on the phone because they're already participating in that divine life and they've already been purified and they know how to pray in a way that we don't even know how to pray, yeah. which makes their prayers all the more powerful. Why would we not take advantage of that? Mm. Right? It's I think the bottom line there is realizing we are part of this huge communion, this huge yeah. family, we're, and, and we should not uh, deprive ourselves of the benefits of the people we know who are right now, shall we say, in high places, yeah. right? It just Here's a silly analogy, but if, if you're part of a company and you have a friend in a high place in that company who can have you know quicker access to the boss, so to speak, to get something done, you know, it's it's a bit of a banal analogy, but uh, you would you wouldn't wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? Why would you not want to take advantage of that? Mm. You know, John Paul II is somebody I ask for prayers all the time, and and I believe he he knows me, and he knows me extremely well because he's on the other side and he has a sight on the other side about who I am and what I'm going through, and he can intercede for me in in a way that. Even people here who who know me like you yeah. can't. So, and I think as Catholics, we experience not only the benefit of of their prayers, but I think it builds our faith. That sense that heaven is real, that that's yeah. really our destiny. So that that communication with saints is is really strengthening for the journey that we're on right now, knowing where we're headed yes. to be with them. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So I would just invite anybody out there who might be wondering, I mean, of course you can go directly to Jesus. Of course you can uh, go directly to the Father and the Holy Spirit. But it's God's will that we are part of this big family. And God wants us to know our siblings, and God wants us to benefit from their love and from their prayers. Mm -hmm. And we should take advantage of that. Why would we not want to? Yeah. Why don't we conclude now with some just asking a few of our favorite saints That's to pray That's a great for idea, us. Wendy. Mm. Let's do that. Okay. St. John Paul II. Pray for us. St. Clement of Alexandria. I have no idea why he popped into my mind, but yeah. there you go. Pray for us. Pray for us. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mm. 
Pray for us. Pray for us. Do you have a few you want to ask, Wendy? Yes, uh, St. Therese. Pray for us. Mm. Padre Pio. Pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby. Pray for us. St. Pope Paul VI. Mm. Pray for us. St. Pope John Twenty-Third. Pray for us. St. Peter and Paul. Pray for Saint us. St. Mary Magdalene. Let's pray for us. And here's, here's I like Mary under this title, Mary Crusher of Heresies. Mm. Pray, pray for, for us. us. And St. Joseph Terror of Demons. Pray for Those us. Those are good ones. All holy men and women. All us. angels and archangels. Pray the for whole us. family of God. Pray, for, pray us. for us. And may you know deep in your hearts that you are part of this family of God and you're an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable part of this family of God. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.